You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Super exciting uh, video. Um, what I'm about to say hopefully will be just as exciting. Um, this morning is uh, this morning is Hills Alive Sunday, which in Common Ground Church has uh, traditionally been a very different Sunday. We have many people who have never been here before. Um, I'm not supposed to do this, but if you've never been here before, don't raise your hand. No, wait. How about everybody who has been here before? Raise your hand. Okay, these are your normal people. Excellent. Okay, great. Some of you have never been here before. Welcome to Common Ground Church. Uh, we're a strange, eclectic group of people who uh, love Jesus, love each other. Um, you'll notice, like, uh, we intentionally have this place uh, built this way so that you know that there are other people here. Look, look, there's other people here. This side, hey, this side, there's other people over there. Because in our uh, in our common culture, uh, we're we're doing whatever it takes to be as individualistic as possible, and we try to take a stand against that in a lot of different ways. Uh, Common Ground Church is about uh, the the whole collective body coming together in deep relationship as we push each other forward towards Jesus Christ. So, no, I'm good. It's coming through. Yeah. See. Oh, yeah. It's coming through. All right. Go away. Thanks, sound guy. Here, let me just move that up a little bit there. there uh, yeah, so it's fine. Okay. Pushy sound guy, seriously. Okay, uh, and some of the things that we uh, we like to capitalize on here at Common Ground is we do pray for one another. We do um, we do actually also get out. We, we tend to get out of church. In fact, Peter, if you'd like to, Peter's going to take a group that's going to go actually walk the city and pray for this city. If you are interested in going out and praying for the city, Peter might be alone. That's okay. He's good at that. He just doesn't like church. So uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And uh, so Peter's going to wait upstairs. If you seriously, if you want to go and pray for this city, you can go and pray for this city with Peter. He'd be happy to walk along with you. Um, but if you want to sit here, that's okay too. Um, but uh, we we believe in uh, we believe in faith and action. We believe in relationship and movement. We believe in discipleship. We believe in all these types of things. One of the things we also believe in is that this is not just one talking head and everybody passively listening. In fact, today you're going to have two talking heads. So I'm going to share a little bit, then Nick's going to get up and share a little bit. And what we're talking about today is uh, we thought, you know, for Hills Alive Sunday, what are we going to do? And I thought, man, let's just talk about the wrecking words of Jesus, the words of Jesus that slam you in the gut and mess your life up were you to take them seriously. And so that was, that's it. And so he's got a passage, I've got a passage. I'm going to be Luke 6, actually. If you have a Bible, then, uh, then go ahead Oh, oh, Jonas is telling me I've got to also highlight that we do have a kid's cart. For those of you who are kids or kids at heart, you are welcome to take a kid's packet that has some different ways of learning. We actually, again, we value individuals and we value the way that God has made individuals and we don't want them all to become drones. So we have provided some different packets for different learning styles. If you want to use one, go ahead, adults. It's all good. We're not going to judge you, at least externally. Um, Sorry about that. Um, but uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter six, and uh, I'm just going to—I'm not going to beat around the bush. I know I already have—I already have, uh, but I'm just going to ask you this. And uh, because I just got back from camp not that long ago, I learned that if you throw treats at people, they are more apt to respond. Yes. So we have sugary cookie goodness. 
here of all shapes and sizes, including Nutter Butters, the coveted. Yeah, there's like three people that went, ooh. So, <laughs> so I'm simply going to ask you, and I don't have a lot of these, so maybe I shouldn't ask you this and throw these out because I want to save these for later. Yeah, let's save these for later. Sorry, I'm just going to mess you up. Who's the wisest person you know? Well, let's just say smartest. Who's the smartest person you know? Anybody? Smartest person you know? Go for it, Larry. Nick? Nick's the smartest person you know? I don't mean to laugh when I say that, but I know Nick. So <laughs> Go ahead, Stevan. Your grandfather. Okay, what makes him so smart? Oh, and Lori, what makes Nick so smart? Because he is your friend. Because oh, so he's relationally intelligent. Gotcha. <laughs> Go ahead, Stefan. What makes your grandfather so smart? Oh, so he was financially very smart. Okay. Anybody else? Smartest person you know? Go for it. Don't know, don't all jump in what? Go ahead. Go ahead, David. One of the smartest people I know is my uh, father-in-law. Just all the. Stuff that he knows with contracting, everything he knows with raising a family, and taking yeah. care of a house, and I don't know. So experience is what's made him smart. Okay? Go ahead, people in the back. Oh, those are my children, not you. Isaac! Uh, my dad's actually pretty smart. He managed to build his own house, uh, and it's still standing, right? It's still standing. Okay, because anybody can build their own house. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to live in it. Yeah, yeah. We just had uh, we just had somebody stay in our basement. I did all the electrical work down there. So I'm just saying, you know, those of you guys in the basement could be a fire. Um, go ahead, Creed. Mike Kersnack. Mike He's not here, so he's not going to get a big head about that. So that's, uh, that's okay. What makes Mike so smart? He's got a lot of degrees. He's got. He's been a professional student. Yeah, a lot of people go to school for eight years, Mike. Unfortunately, you're not called doctor. Um, yeah. And if you're listening, I meant it. All right. So, yeah. Go ahead, Tyler. John Navels. John Navels. Yeah, he is now currently working on a submarine somewhere that we can't tell you. Otherwise, we'll have to kill you. Yep. So, yeah. But he actually is legit the smartest person. Although socially, is he intelligent? <laughs> was like we were up on Ruby Tuesdays just looking over the city at night and I was like man like what makes the light like flicker out there I wasn't expecting an answer and he drew you like because of the yeah like yeah he drew you like this mathematical formula and uh, told, told you about physics and you're like yeah. uh, shut up John you, you ruined it yeah you ruined the moment you ruined the moment now if I ask you the same question what makes the person who's the wisest person you know would that answer have been different Many of you confused, actually, when I said smartest person. Stefan said a guy who's wise with money. Nick, wise with relationships. Mike, well, let's just skip over Mike, right? Um, there's a difference between smarts and wisdom. Some people can be incredibly smart and can be so foolish that they, that they completely undermine all of their smarts. And yet some people, they may not be, you know, they may not have read entire libraries of books. They may not be the smartest person in the world. They may not be able to retain tons of information. But they may be one of the wisest people you've ever met. And the difference is, is because wisdom and smarts are different. Smarts has to do with knowledge. Has to do with the amount of knowledge you have ascertained. Wisdom has to do with how you use that wisdom. It's a skill word. It's more about uh, doing things with the wisdom. Or doing things with the, the knowledge that you have gained. 
Wisdom and knowledge are completely different things. And Jesus says something about wisdom that I think is absolutely unbelievably wrecking to the human soul if you actually pay attention to what he's saying. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Verse 46 to the end of the chapter, which is only like two verses, which is so unlike me. Usually I'm reading entire chapters. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, like last night, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now, I want you to just keep your eyes on that passage. Notice the first part of the verse. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? What Jesus is talking about there is he's talking about the importance of his word. He's saying that when I say something, it is absolute of absolute importance for one thing and one thing only. And he continues on with this qualification that if you do what I say, if you hear my word and you put them into practice, your life will be like a well-built house that does not fall. Now, this is probably one of the most unbelievable statements a human can make. If Jesus were simply human. If I came to you and I said, hey, if you do everything exactly how I say it, your life will never, ever, ever fall apart. Trust me. Yeah, you sticker because that trust me part, right? Every single, every single used car salesman has used this same line. If you only just, just trust me, just trust me. Look at this. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna sell. Would, a, would I sell you garbage? Look at my face. So with a face like this, sell you garbage. Come on now, trust me. As long as you trust me, your life will be fine. Just set it and forget it. Right? The Ronco rotisserie. Anybody ever buy one of those? I may or may not have. <laughs> And what Jesus is getting at here in this in this this passage, and one of the reasons why I think it's one of the most wrecking things that Jesus says, is because he says something so audacious, so bold, so big. He says, "If you listen to my words and build your life on them, your life will not fall; it will not fail." And so, what it comes down to, what it boils down to, is who do you say that Jesus is, and what do you say his words mean? And, and I mean this for you personally and for me personally. What do you say, Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is, and what do you say his words mean? Um, C.S. Lewis, the great you know, Christian theologian and thinker, he was famous for developing what they call the trilemma, which is a, a piece of logic and a piece of reason that he uses, in which he says that you know, if you total up the sum of all the things that Jesus said, he's a one of three options. He is either a liar, or he is a lunatic, or he is Lord of all. And I actually think there's a fourth option. That if Jesus says this, if he says, if you obey the things that I say, if you hear my word and you build your life on them, your world world will never fall apart. If that is true, if that's what he is saying, which is what he is saying, 
And he's either a liar, he's either the, a salesman, he's either a, a huckster, he's either selling a snake oil, going, just, just trust me, just listen to my words and it's never going to fail. Or he's a total lunatic, completely, completely deluded with what reality really is. Or he's an ultimate deceiver trying to get you to listen to his words, which would be not only liar, not only lunatic, but then Lucifer. Or he is Lord of all. Or he is actually saying, if you build your life on my words, they will not fail because my words are ultimate truth. And this boils down to, what do you think? What do you think he is? See, if his words are just the words of a man, then these are just suggestions. If his words are the words of maybe a prophet, maybe a really holy man, then these words are things that we should be skeptical about because you actually should weigh all prophecies. And if he's not who he says he is, or even if he's just a wise teacher, then maybe his words are very pragmatic. Maybe they're just good instructions for us to get the best life now. But if his words are truly the words that come from the Lord who have created everything, who is by the, by the snap of his finger, by the voice of his, by the command of his voice, by the very spoken word, everything has come into being. And by his word, he holds you together. And by his word, he can take you out like that. And by his word, he restrains all sorts of things. And by his word, if he is that very God, then what do we do with his words? No wonder why he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You cannot call Jesus Lord and not do what He says. But there's more than that. Because Jesus' words, the words that He speaks, are not only powerful, but they're beautiful. I got to do this at camp and I thought it was an amazing little thing because, you know, this is a fun little activity simply because collectively, you know, we know more Scripture than we think we do. I don't know if you knew this, but in the old days, when uh, when things were taught orally, when things were taught through the through the mouth, the way that you could make sure that you check what is said is that there is a crowd around you. We needed each other. We needed community in order to double check and triple check what we have, if what we said is true. And there are things that you have memorized of Scripture, and things that you have memorized, and you have memorized, and you have memorized. And together, we get to know more and more and more of the Word of God that has been written and handed down to us. And so I'm simply going to ask you a question, and now I will bribe you with treats. What are, the, what are your favorite words of Jesus? What has He said that really wrecks you? What has He said to you? Anybody, what's your favorite words of Jesus? Jonas is the first one, and he's all the way in the back, and he wants a nutter butter. And so I got to <laughs> fling this. So watch out, crowd, because this is coming. Boom! All right, I t- I'm a pro, man. Just trust me. Just trust me. <laughs> Go ahead, Jonas. What are you saying? Mark chapter two. Stand up, for your sins are forgiven. Beautiful passage. And the Pharisees that are watching there are going, who can forgive sins but God alone? And he says, so that you know that I have power to not only forgive sins, stand up for your sins are forgiven. Beautiful. 
What about you? Go ahead, Allie. Uh, <laughs> well, I hope, Eli- I hope Elijah wasn't there. How much more does your Father in Heaven, and in Luke, how much more does your Father in Heaven know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more does your Father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He knows better how to give better gifts than we ever will. Beautiful passage. Anybody else? Go for it. Yes, sir. God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And He concentrated wildlife through cookies at Him. Look at how much that... Yes. God sent His Son into the world not so that the world could be condemned, but that the world might be saved through Him. Isn't that beautiful? The words of God. God did not send His Son to condemn, but to save. Go ahead, Josiah. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I don't even care that you read it. It's all good, because I like people to read. Yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's a beautiful passage, and I've taught on this before. It's, I mean, it's like Greek philosophy in there. It's amazing stuff. Because this shows that there is something like, like the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. You did not know what was in God's mind until the words come out just like us. Like, go ahead, read my mind. What am I thinking? Tacos. Very close. Cheeseburgers. Yeah, actually. Very close. Cheeseburgers. Yes. Uh, Very, very close. Not bad. uh, Maybe he's a little Hispanic. I don't know. A little translation error. But if you... God had stuff in his heart and in his mind and so he sent prophets to speak and then he sent Jesus to speak and to show and then he sent the Holy Spirit to reveal to us through the power of his word who he is. Beautiful passage. Others. I got 24 more to go. Go ahead, Mary. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. God has promised to all those who love him. Wow. Wow. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For he will receive the crown that has been given to him. He will receive, he will receive the crown that has been given to him. Isn't that amazing? Go ahead, Sally. I like the verse, I think it's in John. Um, about not being anxious about what you shall eat or drink or wear, because your heavenly Father who takes care of the sparrows yeah. knows what you need. Matthew and Luke, both in Matthew and Luke, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious for the Lord. God knows what He's. God knows what you're going through. Don't be anxious about that, Remy. Hey, got it. Hey, God, there was lightning. <laughs> Anybody want to help him out? You can read it. It's fine. Yeah. In 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 him was life, and and <laughs> yes, very good. Thank you. Luke, you got one? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. He should get two. <laughs> you sappy people. He's it's fine. I know he's got that cute voice, but it's not going to be cute for long. Give it ten years, and he's going to be like Creed. Right? So, yeah. But that is awesome, right? I mean, how much do we forget this, people, and make it so much more complicated? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. 
that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Is that powerful? Is that powerful? It's more powerful when he says it. His voice is way cuter. What else? Keep it up. Go ahead, Tyler. Uh, you can have nutter butters too. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it to the fullest. I'm come so that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Keep going, people. Go ahead, Don. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. What are you guys going to catch up German? Yeah, <laughs> just like the panic. Be still and know that I am God. Not only a psalm, but also when Jesus says, Peace, be still, and everything stops. Hearkening the words of God. And how much we want Him to be able to say to us, Peace, be still. And we're like, Nah, bro, America, my calendar tells me i got to keep moving. Yes, ma'am. Yes, for with God nothing. Oh, Matt, help her Sorry, that was <laughs> For with God nothing shall be impossible. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Others. Go ahead, Allie. That's like, Eric, your hand looks weird. <laughs> And in him all things hold together. Eric, you want to catch this? <laughs> That's how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> Any others before we wrap this? Go ahead, Stefan. For his name's sake. And Jesus comes on the scene in John chapter 10 and says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Stephanie, you want to catch? Man, I got that fling down. I hit him right in the shins. He can't see anything anyway. He's got no depth perception. <laughs> Lori, did you ever hand up? Yeah. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Surely I am coming soon. Yep, drop the mic. <laughs> drop the mic. Oh, yes, go ahead, Eileen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. For nothing, as Romans, right? For nothing can separate us from the love of God, not famine, nor nakedness, or danger, nor peril, nor sword. Um, none of those things. None of those things. And Jesus says, I, I give my peace to you. I, I give my peace to you. I go to make a room for you. If it were not true, would I not have said so? I mean, he goes on to clarify. Like, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to leave my peace with you and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. If it were not true, would I not have told you? He's going to prepare a place. Nothing can separate us from his love. Not a single thing. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it's not exactly a verse, but the song You Are More by Ten Thousand Lord. The first time I heard that, it just created everything that I I'm gonna give you some. I'm gonna give you some chips ahoy, anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a verse that says that. I I, we'll, we'll have to, yeah, and we'll have to. I mean, it's a good thing for you to go look. I'm giving you an assignment. You're gonna go look up some verses in order to support your statement. Yes, um, and you know that's a beautiful thing too, because God communicates to us through the power of His Word, utilizing other things to draw us into His presence. Yes, sir. Say Romans eight twenty-eight. Yeah. 
We know that God works all things for the good of those who love Him. You guys, see, here's the deal. This is the beauty of this exercise. This is the beauty of this exercise. Together, Jesus Christ has spoken words to us. He has spoken words about who God is. The words are, this book is not about us. This book is about God. And we get to read this and we get to recite these to each other. And oh my Lord, I pray that we would become a people who know the word so that we can communicate it to one another, especially in times of need. This exercise of doing this, this is how we encourage one another and spur one another on towards good, good deeds and uh, towards love and good deeds, like Hebrews tells us to do. The words of Jesus, if they are true, mean that when He says that He came to bring life to the fullest, like Tyler said, when He says that He came to lay down His life for His friends, when He says that He's going to the Father and that He's going to prepare a place for us, when He says that it is better that He leaves us to send us the Holy Spirit, when He says that He did not come to condemn the world, but He came to save the world like we heard before, when He says the greatest commandment, what is it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing bigger than that. And when he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, now you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I command. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. When he says that this world is perishing, that this world is dying, that this world is wrecked in sin, And that we need a Savior. And that He came to be that Savior. And He came to lay His life down. Only to pick it back up again. And then He says, go and do likewise. If He says things like, unless you carry your cross, you cannot be My disciple. When he says things like, unless you consider all things trash and rubbish, including some of the most important relationships to you, you cannot be my disciple. When he says these things, these are the very words of God. The God who made you, who knows you, and who knows this life better than anything and anyone and any book that's ever been written. These are the words of God. What do you do with them? What do you do with them? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Those who call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. <laughs> Their world falls, and the moment, of, the moment the torrent strikes the house, it collapses, and its destruction is complete. What do you do with the Word of God? Jesus, I give you... Um, give you glory and honor for your word. Your word is powerful. And Lord, forgive me. Oh, forgive me for the times when I have not paid attention to your word like I should have. In Jesus' name, amen. Vivi, come in right now. was a commercial fisherman until pirates captured his ship and killed him. My mother was consumed by grief and fell into a deep depression. 
At 12, I had to become the leader of our family, giving up my studies to assume the role of mother for my younger siblings. The five of us crammed in one tiny little room in a house full of other families. Often, we didn't have enough money to eat. My mother and her new boyfriend gambled all of our money away. I fought with him a lot, one time even slashing him with a knife, trying to kill him. Eventually, they ran away, leaving us to fend for ourselves. When she returned three years later, she said, there is a wealthy old man who will give me money for your sister. I would do anything to protect her. So I said, sell me instead. My mother brought me to a brothel where none of the girls could escape. The owner bought me for himself and kept me in this nightmare for two years. My worth was only $140. As a child, a Christian friend told me that God loves me and Jesus forgives evil. But I didn't understand. God is perfect. I am a sinner. How could he ever accept me, especially now that I was so filthy and unlovable? I received a Christian brochure from a stranger. I prayed to receive Jesus into my life, but I didn't feel any different. If God really loved me, why did he give me such a bitter life? While I do good deeds, many immoral and corrupt people have such happy lives. God is not fair. I decided to become a Buddhist nun, but my life didn't improve. I lost hope in any religion. I lived without faith or hope for 10 miserable years. My life just went up and down. Then, Sue walked into my noodle shop. We would go there and eat at her noodle stands, and she had some questions. But they still were very guarded questions. My life was full of deception, and I was cynical that this foreigner could be telling me the true story of God. I pray, God, if Sue is from you, please bring her back to me. Then one day I felt like God said, Sue will be back tomorrow. I was extremely elated and knew that this person could tell me God's story. She was just sitting there waiting for me and she said, Oh, I knew you were going to come today. And I'm like, Oh, what if I hadn't come? Sue came to my shop many, many times to teach me about God. But when she invited me to church, I was hesitant. There's so many burdens with my shop. I prayed for a miracle. God, please help me to sell all my noodles so that I can go to church tomorrow. By noon, everything was sold out. That was the first time ever. I knew that God was real and He had listened to my prayers. I wouldn't run from God anymore. I love Him with all my life. When I got to know God, I was so overwhelmed by how He accepted me as I am. He gave me true peace. I want to tell everyone about Him. Every time she had a chance to somebody ordering noodles, she would share the gospel. She just had a passion. She wanted everyone to know. People just came and were eating noodles, and she could see a little tear in her eye, and they just poured their heart out to her. She said, this is wonderful. God has prepared people already, and we need to meet them. God was calling me throughout my life, but because of my difficult circumstances, I abandoned God. But God never abandoned me. In fact, God used the hardships in my life. If I had a very comfortable and good life, I wouldn't know about suffering or be able to understand other people's sufferings. There are many Thai people out there who are searching, 
but there isn't someone who will go and tell them. So I have to be that person who will stand up and tell them about God. Okay, so Brian sends me that video last night. Says this will be your lead-in, and I'm supposed to preach about the wrecking words of Jesus, and then that video just wrecks me. Um, but what an amazing story of God's grace! So Brian says I'm relationally smart. Um, I don't like people, which is a big confession for people, someone in ministry to make. People drive me nuts. Uh, basically, if I'm relationally smart, it's only because I hang around smart people and I steal the good stuff that they come up with. <laughs> and then I bring it home to my wife, which makes her think I'm smart or something like that. Anyway, John chapter 8 is where I'm going to be today uh, for the words that wreck me. Um, this was These are supposed to be two 18-minute uh, uh, sermons. Uh, Brian capitalized on a little extra time there. So uh, I'm going to be brief. I don't have time really to explain, but you'll you'll notice in your Bible that this text, uh, Romans or I'm sorry, Romans, John eight one through uh, eleven, is parenthetical because the translators of the Bible are being very um, honest with uh, with the manuscripts that they translated from. Some Bibles will put this portion in as a footnote. Now I can go into all kinds of reasons whether or not this was actually uh, written by John or why we can believe that it is written by John. I'm preaching on it absolutely. Obviously, I'm leaning towards the side that John must have said this, and then God added in as it should have been. But we have this amazing story in here. But before we get to that, I have to explain why people just kind of knock me off my nut once in a while. Because I'm often watching people and <clears throat> making observations which is just a real nice way of saying judgment, uh, about some of the things that they do. And it makes me say, why did you do that? Okay, And, and I usually ask that question because these, things, these are things that I, I, I'm probably not going to do. Okay, They usually say the things that bug us most are the things that people do that reflect what we do quite often. But there's a few things that I would not do that. Like, for example, I was driving down here this morning. And there was some car from Wisconsin, and it was in the, the left-hand lane, and there's a, there is a middle turning lane to pull into, and it just stopped dead right there in the, in the, in the driving lane so that it can make a left-hand turn. Why do you do that? You know, and I was, you know, verbally just chastising this person. I thought, oh man, is Brian's parents in town? Because, you know, Wisconsin plates, you know, who knows? But, but you see that a lot. I, I just don't understand that. Another thing I, I don't get is why do you bring 70 items into the express lane? Why do you do that? I will not do that. In fact, I was in Walmart once. I had an entire cartload full of groceries. And uh, I was, you know, heading towards a checkout. And one of the one of the express lane gals just started, you know, waving me in. You know, like I was going to land an airplane there or something. And I'm like, uh-uh. You know, she goes, no, it's all right. I'm not busy. You can come in here. And I'm like, uh-uh. Because as soon as I do that, someone's going to come along and behind me and go, why do you do that? So I just went off somewhere else. Why, when there's an empty movie theater, and I'm seated, and you have little kids that... No, they're not. They're not aspiring soccer players. They're they're freaking kickboxers. 
And you sit behind me. And you put the kid behind me. The only time that was kind of cool is when I watched Transformers when, with my son, and uh, and every kick went with an explosion. And if it's a Michael Bay movie, the kid had lots of kicks, and so it gave me the full-on experience. <laughs> you know, as I was watching. The other thing I don't understand: if there's this pretty empty movie theater, and I'm already seated in there, and there's all these other rows and all these other chairs to sit in, why do you sit in my row beside me? That, that freaks me out just a little bit, especially when the person that sits beside you grabs your arm during a freaky time in the movie. You know, it's okay if that's my wife doing that, but strangers, no. And guys, why does that happen in public restrooms? Never understood that one either. Okay, that's, that's a guy thing there, but I'm not going to do that stuff. <laughs> And I think it's real easy for us to look at people, observe people. I know it's easy for me to do that. And uh, we start we start turning that, why? Why do you do that? I was speaking at a camp this week, and uh, while I was there, got an alert on my phone, and it had something to do with a story uh, about a woman who just received 40 years in prison for beating her two-year-old to death. And uh, her, her, her son... Not somebody else's son. Her son. And as I began to read the report on what was done to this child, um, it, it wrecked me. I, I, it was horrible. I wanted to vomit when I saw the degree of, of brutality that was unleashed on this, this little defenseless kid by his own mother. I mean, that's... That's anti-maternal behavior that's happening there. And I I don't understand that. It makes me go, why do you do that? And and I start going to a place where I can become very condemning because of that. And, uh, And then I read this passage, and and it wrecks me. So here it is. The the text is John 8, beginning with verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives... Early in the morning he came to the temple courts again. All the people came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. And this is an interesting term uh, in the New English translation. The experts in the law. Okay, scribes. The experts in the law. And that jumped out at me because there's a lot of people in church that have become experts in the law. We have a whole lot of theological fat up here and very little godlike muscle here. And that's reflected in these individuals. The experts in the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been committing who had been who'd been caught committing adultery. They made her stand in front of them and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone to death such women. What then do you say? Now, there's a parenthetical statement after this that says, Now, they were asking this in an attempt to trap Jesus so that they could bring charges against him. And that really kind of unveils the motive of these experts of the law and the Pharisees is that it really wasn't about this woman, and it isn't even really about the law. It was about how can I somehow trap Jesus? With this, so they were using her, 
And we also find out that they're really not very good experts in the law because the law said that both the woman and the man should have been brought forth. Where's the dude? Okay. Now that's what happens when we get all judgy inside ourselves. Um, Some believe, some scholars believe that they chose this woman in her particular act because in that culture that was an extremely heinous thing to do. Okay, kind of like a mom beating their two-year-old child to death. What then do you say, they asked Jesus. And I love his response. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. Now, a lot of people speculate what he was writing there at that point. Some people think he was writing the phone numbers of all the Pharisees' girlfriends or something like that. Some think he might have been writing the law. Or I think he was just doodling in the dirt. You know, I don't think we need to know what he wrote there. I think the action speaks a lot. The fact that Jesus just had this woman put right in front of everybody else and accused of something. And Jesus said, let's all just look at what I'm doing down here instead of her for a little bit. When they persisted in asking him, he stood up straight and replied, whoever among you is guiltless uh, may be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent over again and doodled in the dirt. Now when they heard this, they began to drift away one at a time, starting with the older ones, until Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up straight and said to her, Woman, where are they? And uh, in that culture and in that vernacular, woman is is just like saying, it's a polite thing. It's like saying, ma'am, ma'am, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she replied, No one, Lord. Because what did Jesus say? The sinless one, the one without guilt, can pick up the stone and cast it at her. And who's saying that to her? The sinless one, the one without guilt. So for her to say, No one, was an expression of faith. And Jesus said, and here's the wrecking words, I do not condemn you either. Go and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now we can see in that Jesus did not go light on sin. He addressed it. He brought it up. He said, don't do that. You know, the greatest therapeutic words that anybody could ever give. Stop it. He said, as far as sin goes, stop it. But before that, he says, I do not condemn you. And what I see in this story that I think is relevant for for me and for, for you today is this, is that Jesus is the one that stands between us and any stone that could be cast at us. That's what He did when He went to the cross. He got in between us and the accuser. He got between us and the one who would condemn. And He said, give it all to me. Put it all on me. No matter how deep your sin is, no matter how deep your guilt might be today, Jesus would face you right now today and say, just stand behind me. I'll take it. 
Michael Card, writing about the Gospel of John, he calls it the Gospel of Wisdom. He says that Jesus' final words to the woman are his words to us as we stand condemned and guilty before him. But he has not come to judge but to save. He, he has absorbed the punishment for our sins as surely as, as he would have stood between the woman that morning and any stone that might have been thrown at her. In Romans 8, verses 1-4, through it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just marinate in that for a minute. Or two, or a hundred, or thousands. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And now listen to verse 3 of Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Meaning, in His own body, that's where the condemnation of our sin landed. On the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A second thing that pops out in this story is that uh, Jesus is the only one qualified to forgive. Remember that that came up in the story that someone said about uh, the uh, rise up and walk. That was Jonas's verse that only God can forgive sins. Jesus, being God in the flesh, is the only one that can forgive your sins and my sins. But at the same time, being God, He is the only one qualified to judge. Any Marvel movie fans out there? Thor in particular? Mjolnir, what's that? It's a hammer. It's a hammer. <laughs> okay, yeah, and Thor's hammer, here's the thing. Thor is the only one mighty enough to wield Thor's hammer. And there was one little kind of edgy moment where Thor got a little worried, and that was when Steve Evans, uh, 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 Captain America reached up and he actually budged the hammer. Nobody else could, but he, he budged the hammer and Thor, Thor just kind of about lost it there for a second. Well, a gavel, which a judge uses for passing sentence, is kind of like a hammer. And only Jesus Christ can lift that hammer. You and I are incapable of doing that. Jesus' words here again reveal him as the master teacher. He rebuked sin, but he also gave the woman hope for a new life. Uh, Theologically, he could forgive her sin because he had the authority to do that. He demonstrated that in Mark 2. And also because he is the Lamb of God who bore the sins of the world, as we're told in John 1.29. Besides having the divine ability to forgive her sin, his manner of dealing with her was gracious. In this moment, he is revealed to us as the one who is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. I don't have that capability. None of us do. And then we were already reminded (laughs) from this side of the room and and, and a youngster here of that great passage of John chapter 3. And we all know John 3.16, right? But right next to it, um, because that's a gigantic verse, there's another verse just as great, but it's kind of lost sometimes in the shadow of it. And I'm so glad to hear it quoted today. Let me read that again and add verse 18 to this. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I think the church needs to study that verse some more. God did not send Jesus to bring condemnation into this world, but to bring salvation. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, Jesus didn't have to bring condemnation. It was already upon us because of our broken relationship with God. And Jesus came to restore us back to that. And here's the thing that I think Jesus would want us to understand in that statement. Neither do I condemn you is this. That let's take that woman at the that was caught in adultery there. From that moment until her last day on earth, Jesus was giving her the chance to repent and to come to him. From that moment until our last day on earth, when we take that final breath, Jesus is giving the opportunity for a soul to come to salvation. Remember the thief on the cross? Not much he could do. He was in his dying throes when Jesus, or when he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. I can't help but imagine that while he was on that cross, Jesus almost smiled and said, yes, this is the moment. This is the moment I wait for. Our job should be to allow people, no matter what they've done in life, even if it's pulverizing their two-year-old child, to have the opportunity to come to salvation and know the forgiveness of that sin. From now until their last day on earth. If for some reason I was able to go to her prison cell on uh, Wednesday, I think it is, when I read that story, that would not have been a good thing. But now because of chapter 8 of John, verse 11... I think I have a better idea of what I might say to her. Neither do I condemn you. So there's three wrecking points that come out of uh, this text. The first one is this. The words that Jesus gave here don't allow me to continue with an attitude of self-condemnation. You see, there's a lot of people that that, that, that resist the grace of God because they think, I'm not worthy of that. I, and you're not. <laughs> None of us are. We, we might put out our little list of sins that say, God, why, why would you want me showing up in one of your assemblies? I'm not good enough for that. No, none of us are. Not a one. There's a lot of us that will keep pushing God off and keep pushing God off because we are steeped in self-condemnation. 
There are some of us sitting here today that are struggling in our relationship with Jesus Christ because we're too busy rifling through that list of sins that we've had in our life, the list of failures that we might have committed, the things that we should have done that we did not do, the things we ought to have said and never said. We just keep replaying that and replaying that. And today Jesus ought to wreck that status quo with these words, Neither do I condemn you. If Jesus will not condemn us, who are we to put ourselves in a higher seat of judgment over our own failures and weaknesses? The second wrecking point, Jesus' words don't allow me to continue with an attitude of thinking that it's up to me to earn God's love and forgiveness, His mercy and grace. It's so easy to think, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've I've fouled it up, and so now I've got to take the steps to make it right. I've got to show God that somehow I, I am worthy of His love. Remember, we're still there with the stain of whatever sin is on us, just like that woman standing before Him, and He sees that stain, but He's able to see right through it into the image that He created us to be in and say, neither do I condemn you. And then wrecking point number three, Jesus' words do not allow me to continue with an attitude of condemnation towards others. I cannot read those words and look at anybody, no matter what they've done, and think I have some reason to pick up the gavel against them. I cannot do it. Brothers and sisters, do we dare question the grace of God towards our own sinfulness? Do we dare? Do we dare take up a gavel that is not ours to lift against a fellow human being? It is not ours to judge anybody either our own selves or others, with a spirit of condemnation. I love what Paul said in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4. Or was it 1 Corinthians? I don't remember. One of the Corinthians. <laughs> he, was, he was having to defend himself against a, an immoral church that was questioning him as an apostle. And, uh, and he was defending his apostleship, but he said this statement, which has become something that I think I've had to relearn over and over again. He said, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any human authority. See, Paul was free from other humans judging him because he knew who he was in Christ. But he goes on to say this, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. Paul, Paul didn't ever say, yeah, I'm, I'm good or something, or man, I'm so lousy. He just said, I'm just, I gotta leave that up to the grace of God. I cannot judge myself, and no one else can put themselves in a place to judge me. Only God has that right, and that privilege, and that authority. So here's the truth of these words out of John 8. Romans 8, 1, John 3. No longer is there any condemnation for me. For me. No longer should there be any condemnation from me. That's what it means to take 
Jesus' words at heart. Let's pray. Lord, in a moment, uh, we are going to step into communion. Uh, We're going to approach the Lord's table where we have that representation of your body broken for us and your sin, or your sin, your blood poured out for our sin so that there would be no condemnation. Lord, you were the one condemned in our place and you willingly took that on so that we would be set free from it. And Lord, it's easy to rejoice in not being condemned, but at the same time, we've got to remember that, that we are set free from condemning others too. Lord, there are so many people in the world today, they, they must see the face of Jesus. They must see that same man who stood between that woman and those stones that were about to be cast at her and all those accusations. Lord, there are so many people that are just crushed under the weight of their guilt. And the last thing they need is more condemnation. The greatest thing they need is to hear the words of life and hope. That just as we are, God, while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us that we would not be condemned. So Lord, today, let this be a day where condemnation is condemned by us because of the work of Christ on the cross, because of the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground.